Good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are in the world. I'm James Schofield, the writer of the stories in this podcast, Behind the Bottom Line. Over the years, I've written lots of short stories for different magazines about the funny, sad and strange people and events I've experienced in business. In each episode, I read you my original story and afterwards I tell you something about the real-life background which inspired it. Today's story is called Changing Chairs. And while you're listening to it, you might like to ponder this little riddle. A father and son are in a car crash and are rushed to the hospital. The father dies. The boy is taken to the operating room and the surgeon says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. Now, how is this possible? Changing Chairs We sat around the boardroom table, waiting for Kingsley to arrive. Our company chairman liked to keep us waiting. Cynthia, his PA, put her perfectly made-up face around the door. Mr Adams will be here in a minute, she said. He asked me to tell you to make sure everything was ready to begin. Unlike last time, she added, looking at me coldly. I said nothing. I was always ready. I just didn't always have the figures Kingsley wanted to see. I looked round the table, and my so-called colleagues avoided eye contact. They were pleased that somebody else was there to be the target of Kingsley's temper. We waited in silence for another ten minutes before there was a sudden, loud burst of laughter from the hall, and Kingsley threw open the door. Outside, I saw Cynthia disappearing down the corridor, high heels clicking loudly on the stone floor. I hit send on the email I had prepared on my phone. The show could begin. Come on, then, Kingsley said to me as he sat down heavily in his chair. Let's get started. Haven't had time to look at that agenda you sent. How typical, I thought. We looked at the normal agenda points. The minutes from the last meeting were read and accepted, and then each of the board members presented the results for their division, carefully massaged, so that they looked good. Kingsley didn't even try to hide his boredom. Good, said Kingsley when they'd finished. Time for lunch. Uh, Just one more agenda point, Kingsley, I said. The serious fraud office is asking questions about our purchase of Camberley Electronics last year. Everybody stopped as Kingsley turned to look at me. What kind of questions? Our company produces components for the car industry, and last year we had launched a hostile takeover of a rival, Camberley Electronics. It had been a bitter fight both on the stock market and within the board. As company accountant, I had advised against it. The price we had to offer per share was far too high in my view, and it kept going up. You're just my bean counter, he shouted at me during one meeting. Do as you're told. Don't think. You're no good at it. Kingsley terrified the rest of the board and forced the takeover. When the final offer was made, I was the only member to vote against it. I made sure those minutes were carefully saved for future reference. The SFO is investigating the share price movements of Camberley Electronics, I told the room. 
it seems an unidentified buyer had bought up a lot of their shares at the original price before we went public with our offer. Of course, whoever it was made a lot of money when we finally agreed to pay 10 times the original stock market valuation for the company. What has that got to do with us? asked Kingsley. I don't know. But a police officer visited me yesterday and said they were investigating whether any board members had used their inside knowledge to profit from the takeover. Instantly, chaos broke out around the table. It was amusing to see the terror on the faces of my colleagues as they considered the consequences of an investigation into their private affairs. I didn't think any of them had been involved in insider trading, but I was pretty sure that none of them had been completely honest with their taxes. Quiet! said Kingsley, hitting the table with his hand. This is nonsense! Cynthia reappeared at the door, looking frightened. Mr Adams, for the past half hour, journalists have been calling to ask for an interview. They all say they've had an anonymous tip that there's a fraud investigation to do with Camberley Electronics. I hate to say this, I said, but I did warn the board about... Shut up! shouted Kingsley. Cynthia, get the legal department down here now! He spent that night in a room with the lawyers, telephoning me frequently to check some financial details about the takeover bid. As I had expected, the police arrived at the company early the next morning. I made sure everything was available to them and was outside watching as they left the building carrying computers and boxes of documents, and with Kingsley in handcuffs. The photographers and journalists were ready, and Kingsley's furious face was all over the internet in minutes. The police like to make sure that happens. They call it the perp walk, short for perpetrator. They say it discourages other white-collar criminals. The rest of the day was chaos. The other board members ran around like headless chickens, not knowing what to do. Finally, I called an emergency meeting. I'm sure there is no truth to these stories that Kingsley was the mystery buyer of Camberley Electronics shares, I said. I imagine he'll be back in a couple of days. In the meantime, I propose I take over the day-to-day running of the company and handle the police and newspapers until he returns. All in favour, raise your hand. They all gratefully raised a hand. Nobody else wanted to deal with this. I got home very late. By then the police were providing information to the press. A USB stick had been sent to them anonymously, with details of a special account opened the previous year and used for trading in Camberley shares. Kingsley's wife had set it up using her maiden name. You, said Cynthia, getting up from in front of the television, where the business news headlines were full of the story, were brilliant. It all worked perfectly. She kissed me on the lips. Well, it was only thanks to you, I said. You got his account password, otherwise we wouldn't have had any evidence. She brushed something off my jacket. (laughs) The man's an idiot. He used the same password for everything. Oh, but this is wonderful. She kissed me again. So, what's your next step, Chairwoman Alice? She asked. 
Changing Chairs was written for Business Spotlight in 2016. And I've always been quite interested in the figure of the tyrant chief executive officer, Um, mostly because I think that regimes which are based on fear are not just intrinsically bad, they always have within them the seeds of their own destruction. And I think a very good example of that is the case of Volkswagen, which was in a lot of trouble in recent years for manipulating um, fuel emission levels from its cars in order to make sure that Volkswagens could be sold in California. Um, they had to conform to certain emission levels. One of the reasons why this was able to happen in Volkswagen was because the senior management had a climate of fear, essentially. Um, it was very difficult for people to uh, object and to say when they thought there was something wrong. And I've seen this on a smaller scale uh, in places that I've worked, uh, in projects, for example, where something is going wrong and you get what is called traffic light reporting. At the very bottom, the people actually doing the work report that something is going wrong. They say the situation is red. Their immediate management are reluctant to pass on the message that something is going badly wrong to their management. So they say, well, it's more kind of yellow rather than red. It's sort of, you know, not perfect, but it's yellow. It's not It's not uh, desperate yet. And uh, they pass that on to their management and then their management pass it on to the top management, but they're even more reluctant to tell their top management what the situation is really like. So they say, well, yellow, I mean, I mean, yellow is fairly close to green. Yeah, we'll say it's a green. It'll come right on the night. And, uh, and so that is how I think very often top management believes things are going well. And then a surprise when suddenly uh, they realize that things weren't going right all the time. Um, and you can't blame the people at the bottom for this. They do their best. They say when something is going wrong, but the message gets changed as it gets passed up the hierarchy. And this nearly always happens when you have this climate of fear, which apparently was very strong at Volkswagen at the time. And organizations where this exists are normally very, very unhealthy. So that was a little bit the background to the development of the character of Kingsley, the company chairman. And the kind of tricks that he plays, uh, I've seen quite often in senior management, keeping people waiting for meetings, not paying attention to what their subordinates have to say, showing that they're bored with a presentation, shouting at people, trying to make them look small, insulting them. These are all things that bad senior managers do uh, in order to establish their position and to establish this atmosphere of fear. Now, this can work for as long as the manager is doing well and the results come in. But as soon as things turn and as soon as there's a as soon as something goes wrong, then it's very interesting to see how quickly his position or her position can become simply untenable. Um, and the reason for this is because nobody has any patience with them. Uh, nobody, he, they don't have any allies and they're liable to lose their position because nobody likes them at all. And so as soon as something goes wrong, um, everybody jumps in to, to punish them for their previous behavior. Yeah, well, What goes around comes around.
in my story, um, Alice, the financial officer, chief financial officer, manipulates the situation in order to get her boss, Kingsley, arrested um, for market manipulation. And the arrest of Kingsley and being walked out of the office by the police in front of all the press is something that is you see quite often in America, so-called perp walk. Um, the most famous example I can think of is that of Dominic Strauss-Kahn, the former head of the World Bank, um, tipped to become future president of France. And it's almost Shakespearean, this kind of drama that there is to the perp walk and this complete humiliation, particularly the way in the case of men when they are marched out with no tie on, apparently to make sure that they don't do anything like hang themselves. Um, they have to ask yourself whether it's really necessary to make them look quite so shabby and humiliated uh, on the way to the police station. But I suppose the purpose is to discourage other people and to reduce the incidence of white-collar crime. I like the idea of having a strong female character um, manipulating the situation quite unscrupulously to take over control. The absence of women in senior management positions in companies is particularly severe in Germany, where I work. And I think this is something that needs to be changed by enforcing quotas on companies as to the number of women that they have on their board. So, for example, in Germany, since 2016, companies listed on Germany's major stock exchanges have been legally obliged to set their own targets for increasing the proportion of women in uh, on their boards. Um, but in 2020, 55 of 160 companies uh, listed their goal as zero. So this really isn't acceptable and I think it can only be changed um, by regulation. Which brings me, of course, to the answer for the riddle that I set at the beginning of this episode behind the bottom line. How could the surgeon say, it's my son, and refuse to operate when the father had died in the car crash? The answer, of course, is that the surgeon was a woman and that she was the mother. But apparently, 75% of people, when they hear that, are totally confused and cannot come up with this very, very easy explanation. Makes you think, doesn't it? So what I try to do in the story is to manipulate your assumptions with the description of the actions and the description of the behavior and the description also of the clothes so that you believed that the narrator was a man, whereas in fact you find out in the very last line that it was actually a woman. I hope I managed to do that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Bottom Line. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcast or whichever app you use so that as soon as the next episode is available, you'll get it. In the meantime, catch up on any episodes you've missed, tell your friends about the show, give it a rating and write a review on the podcast app. And you can write to me directly at james.rupert.schofield at gmail.com. Until the next episode of Behind the Bottom Line, this is James Schofield saying goodbye.